Well, Lotto fever, Lotto fever overtook our nation this past week with the jackpot being $640 million. I have a picture of that? $640 million? Ah, yes, $640 million. Ah, half, more than a half a billion. And people were buying up lotto tickets all over the place. You see a picture of people waiting in a very, very long line <laughs> to buy lotto tickets. Incredible. But friends, we all know the chances of you or I winning the lotto, uh, the odds are astronomical. In fact, uh, statistics show that you're 19 times as likely to be struck twice by lightning than to win the lotto. And you're 33 times more likely to be stung to death by bees than to win the lotto. But people still play. And they say it's just a dollar, but it's God's dollar. Think about that one. <laughs> well, we're talking about a much more significant investment today. We're talking about the best investment you can make of your financial resources. And that's in God's treasury. Very, very special day here at Springbrook as we bring our heartstrong financial commitments to the Lord. And it's been quite a journey over the last couple of months as we've learned about the heartstrong vision about loving God and loving others. Loving God together and one-on-one -on -one and loving our families and loving our community, embracing that vision, and then praying to God, okay, God, how do you want me to steward the resources that you've entrusted to me uh, to fund the vision that we're called to as a family? And the returns, of course, will be eternal in the investment that you make. Like this is the only fourth time in our history as a church that we've done something like this. We started out in 1996. In 1998, we had a vision campaign called Catch the Vision. It's original. But, uh, uh, yeah, we had people step forward and make commitments like you're making the day that enabled us uh, to buy the land that we're standing on. And then in 2001, we had a place to call home. And we started to save resources to finance uh, this uh, facility. Uh, people came forward in 2001, in the fall, uh, to make those commitments. And then in 2004, we had a journey of faith fall again, and people came forward, and, and I'm thankful to all those people who sacrificed, who gave faith gifts to make it possible for us uh, to be here today in this building, on this land, worshiping our Lord and Savior. And now we come to another juncture. We come to a beginning of a new chapter of our ministry together, and, a, and we can again come uh, to this day of commitment when we come forward and say, Lord, I believe 
and what you're doing through this ministry, and I'm willing to make a faith commitment uh, to you over the next two years to see this vision become a reality. It's so exciting. Uh, we asked our leaders to lead the way, as leaders should do, right? We asked our leaders to step up and make their commitments early. And so they've done that. And we had a goal of $600,000, or we do have a goal for our HeartStrong Vision campaign of $600,000. And after all of our leaders turned in uh, their commitment cards, they committed $285,000 to this vision. Isn't that wonderful, huh? Wow. That is amazing. Halfway there. Uh, again, as I just reflected upon the commitments that people made and the sacrifices and the faith, I, I was just overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed with the love of this congregation, with the commitment of this congregation. Because, again, you guys got to realize this is just much more than money. This is a spiritual growth campaign. As God takes hold of our heart as a family, and He says, listen, this is what I want you uh, to do. I want you to take a, a step of faith. Uh, first of all, financially, I, I want you to steward, manage my resources in this way in order that I might be glorified. And I know many of you, as you make these commitments, are taking great steps of faith. You're you're making sacrifices financially in your life. Uh, you're giving up certain things in order to make uh, God's uh, uh, work a priority. And, and I'm so thankful uh, that you're growing. You're growing, right? You grow when you make those type of commitments. And that's what it's about. Our hearts becoming more like Jesus' heart. Uh, totally devoted uh, to the Father. And, and then... On top of that, not only are you growing in that way, but you're growing, uh, we're growing as a church. Because when you make this type of commitment, you're saying, hey, this is my church. This is a place where God has called me to serve and to do life together and to honor and glorify Him and to use my abilities and my gifts and my personality. And uh, It's a beautiful thing to see people stepping up and saying, this is where I belong. And I'm in. I'm in. So, And just to let you know, I, it's just an incredible encouragement to me as your pastor to see you making these commitments. It just, just overwhelms me. Uh, it really does. So uh, I want to thank you for that. Well, we're going to have a time of commitment later in the service. But in this last installment of our HeartStrong series, I want to talk about kind of the flip side of discipleship. Because as we've talked about these different aspects of our vision, we've kind of been focusing on discipleship. Uh, but of course, we also need to talk about evangelism. Because our mission is to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that mission, even though it's phrased in different ways, is the mission of every Bible-believing evangelical church. That's what God told us to do in the Great Commission, right? 
go and make disciples of all nations. Well, in order to, for a person to become a disciple, they first have to be evangelized, which means they have to be presented with the good news. The Spirit has to work the good news into the heart and soul, and they need to accept that free gift of salvation. And that's a critical part of our vision. You see, a mission is something that we're going to do, that God has called us to do. The vision is how we specifically live that out as a church, how we go about doing it in our own unique way, with our own unique personality, with our own unique style. Our vision is different than Willow Huntley or uh, Fox Valley or any of the other churches in this area that are doing wonderful works. Uh, our vision is different. We're unique, and God calls every church to do something different. And, and so we're renewing our vision, and, and we're redefining it, and uh, we're focusing in on these different areas. But the beautiful thing is, is, is that all the different things we talked about go both ways. So when we talk about worshiping God together, loving God in that way, uh, we're not only feeding our own souls and maturing through teaching and and worship, but uh, we're also reaching out to those people who come to our services, many of them who don't know the Lord. And so that, that's an evangelistic piece. We talk, when we talk about loving God one-on-one, uh, we're talking about intimacy with God. And, and the more intimacy we have with Jesus Christ, the more we walk with Him, the more that's going to be reflected uh, to those people who don't know Jesus around us. And then when we talk about loving families, I mean, everything that we do, in regards to retreats, seminars, workshops, whatever God leads us to do. Uh, we have the Art of Marriage seminar coming up in two weeks. I encourage you to be a part of that. And, and again, we not only should come, but we should invite people who don't know the Lord to come in order that the, they might strengthen their family and strengthen their marriage and whatever we're focusing on. But most importantly, that they would know Jesus, that they would turn their hearts over to Him. And then loving our community. Of course, compassion, uh, being Jesus, you know, uh, uh, hands and feet. Uh, we want to help people out, but ultimately the, the goal is to see them come to Jesus. Right? That's the ultimate compassion. So I, I want to focus on evangelism today and outreach as we uh, include. So let's look at Luke 10, verses 1 through 4. Jesus Christ is sending out a group of disciples on a mission. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So, let's talk about being heartstrong ambassadors versus a call to go. The Great Commission tells us to go and make disciples. We see this idea again in Luke 10.1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, he had his 12 disciples, right? But he also had other people that were following him who were called disciples. They weren't his inner circle, one might say, of the 12 apostles, but they were also disciples that were very committed to him. So he's sending them out just as he had sent the 12 out on a similar uh, journey. And he's sending them out two by two. 
ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he appointed them. That's the idea of divinely choosing someone. Just as God has divinely chose us, those of us who are Christ followers, to be part of his family. He has appointed us for a very special purpose. And these particular individuals were to be the advance team for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was going on tour. I don't know if he had t-shirts or anything like that, but uh, he was going on tour and he was sending his advance team out to get the message out that the kingdom of God is near. Right in the middle of the political season, the presidential election, and they got all kinds of advance teams. And In fact, some of you might not know this, but several weeks ago, we had a presidential candidate in Lake in the Hills, Illinois, only three miles from my house, in an airport hangar near Lake in the Hills Airport. Newt Gingrich showed up. That's right. Big rally at 2.30. Missed it, but uh, I didn't see it in the papers or anything other than the announcement. But he was there. And I really think that's an historical uh, event. I, I can't imagine that any other candidate has come to Lake in the Hills proper. So if, if somebody wants to research that for me, I really would be glad because I really think that that was the first time anybody uh, showed up. <coughs> but all that to say is that Newt Gingrich, like all the other candidates, they have their state organizations and their local organizations who do the fundraising, get the vote out, uh, manage the volunteers, uh, set up the rallies and all that kind of thing. So, again, Jesus Christ is sending out his advance team because he's coming to these towns. He's got them on his list. This is part of Jesus' plan. And he says, you guys go out and you tell them I'm coming. You tell them the kingdom of God is near. It's interesting. Here we're on Palm Sunday. And so they didn't necessarily tell them that Jesus Christ was the king because Jesus Christ really didn't reveal that and acknowledge that publicly until Palm Sunday. That was the first time he let people worship him as the Messiah and the king as he rode uh, in Jerusalem. Well, that was a wonderful time. And then they killed him a week later. <laughs> Go figure. But the point being is that they were telling people that the kingdom of God was near. And we're called to do the same thing. We have been appointed. Read in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an official messenger, a representative. I don't know about you, when I, I take time to reflect upon that, that I am an official representative and messenger of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What a joy. No matter what you do in this world, no matter how insignificant a role you, you might think you play, in society, I mean, just get your arms and mind and heart around that. That you're an official messenger for Jesus Christ. And though God were making His appeal through us, and He is making His appeal through us, that's His plan. He's got no plan B, right? It's us. And if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that is our message to this world. 
That is our message to our friends. That is our message to people who are not reconciled to God, who do not have peace with God, whose sins have not been forgiven. We need to cry out, be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ has made the way. We are missionaries. Usually when we think about missionaries, we think about people who are in cross-cultural ministries. But a missionary is basically a person on a mission, right? And we've got an, an awesome mission that we're on. And, and you say, well, where's my mission field? Ah, oh, your mission field's all around you. Your mission field is in your neighborhood. Your mission field is in your workplace. Your mission field is in your social club. Your mission field is in the sports team uh, that your kid is on. Your mission field is wherever you go, wherever you have opportunities to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. And we just want to continue this heart-strong focus and vision to encourage people to be aware of their mission. So I want you to take out this particular insert from your program. And I want you to fill this out. If you feel so led and turn this in the offering, because uh, in the past we've talked about having a one life, one person that you're praying for, one person that you're focused upon and that just keeps your evangelism focus sharp. And uh, we want to, again, introduce this and uh, have you fill this out. And We're going to be praying for you, our prayer team. Uh, be sending you emails encouraging you in this area of uh, outreach and evangelism. So uh, just write down your name and your email there. And then I would encourage you to put down two one lives. <laughs> uh, you know, most of us, when I, when I ask people, well, you know, who's the one person that you would love to come to see Christ? Typically it's a relative, and that makes perfect sense, right? You know, your husband child, your sister, brother, whatever. That, that just comes so naturally because we just love them so much. But I, I think it's also helpful to have a non-relative because that kind of gets our mind more out in the sense of our mission field that's, that's around us. So I would encourage you uh, to fill this out. Just the first name of the person, the relationship that you have with them, then their spiritual background, just a brief description, whatever you want to put down in regards to, uh, you know, where they're at spiritually, and then prayer requests. And then we're just going to put this in a database and give it to our prayer warriors, and they're going to be praying for you. And, and at my vision, uh, as we go through this heartstrong period and embed this vision into our church life, is that there would just be a lot of conversation and a lot of energy around these one lives people talking about my one life and at small groups people you know saying pray for my one life and just that becoming more of a normal part of our conversation in regards to reaching these people that God has laid upon our hearts and uh, this is so important so I encourage you to reflect upon that and, and continue to think about that person as we go throughout this message and apply uh, the things that are taught here so, first of all, we have the call to go. And now you know what your mission field is. Then the call to compassion, Luke 10:2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Now let's look at a, a parallel passage uh, that gives us a little better descriptor of where Jesus Christ was at emotionally when he said this. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, so what prompted him to say this, what prompted him to say, hey, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers was compassion. And in the original language, language this idea of compassion was, uh, it was a gut-wrenching type of emotion. The original word in the uh, original language uh, was the idea of the stomach region the stomach region being in pain. So gut-wrenching. That's where, where that comes from. Gut-wrenching. That, that it wasn't Jesus Christ at all. These poor people. Uh, I wish things were better for them. No, it was kind of like, oh, these people. I love them so much. I mean, the love of God, right? I mean, the love of God. Oh, these people. And they're being misled by these religious leaders who are just telling them, hey, you want to connect with God? Follow all these rules. You know, be a rule follower if you, if you really want to experience God. And Jesus, of course, knew that they were misleading them. And no, it's about a relationship. It's about me coming into your life. And, and so he was just overwhelmed by this. And that's where it begins. If we're, we're going to have a heart of compassion as individuals or as a church, it's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from a desire to see people's lives transformed. I mean, you look at people in your life, people who've lost a loved one, people who are going through a divorce, people who've lost a job, and you just say, oh, I wish they knew Jesus. I wish they knew His power. I wish they knew His comfort. I wish they knew His provision. I wish they knew His hope. But they don't. And they're lost. That's, that's when compassion flows. But friends, there's even more of a significant issue we're talking about here. We're not talking about just trouble in this life. Primarily, we're talking about a lot of trouble in their eternal life, right? And it's interesting. One thing I learned as I studied this passage was that uh, there's a much different idea about the word harvest than usually I think. When it says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, I think, oh, wow, I've got a big wheat harvest here. People who need to come to know Christ, and we go out there and we harvest them and bring them to the Lord. And isn't that a wonderful thing? And, you know, a big harvest celebration at the end. That's not really the idea as you study the word harvest uh, in Scripture. Just one passage it speaks about, but really... I think what Jesus Christ is referring to here is in Revelation 14. This is Jesus Christ uh, being seen as the ultimate and final judge. I looked, John writes, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated in the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest is ripe. 
when Jesus Christ says, the harvest is plentiful. He's saying there's a lot of people out there who are going to be judged and have not yet experienced my grace. In fact, it says that Jesus Christ is Lord of the harvest. You know what that means? Jesus Christ is Lord of the judgment. Jesus Christ has been appointed by God the Father to be the judge, to determine people's eternal destinies. Now, that's a totally new take on this passage, huh? Wow. The harvest is plentiful, which means people are destined to an eternity without Christ in hell. Eh, churches don't like to use that word, right? Not even evangelical churches don't like to use that word. Popular uh, TV teachers don't like to use that word. Oh, that's that's way too negative, Dan. Oh, come on now. I mean, really, you're trying to motivate people to come to church and you're talking about hell? Uh, people, you know, they just keep feeling comfortable with that. <laughs> they should, <laughs> you know. It's what's in this this book. Jesus talked a lot about hell, right? And I'll tell you personally, it's probably the most difficult doctrine for me to uh, understand and process, but I know it's true. That, it, that, that people are born sinners, and they are condemned to an eternity without God in hell unless they solve their sin problem by repenting and believing what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. That is the reality that we all face. And that is our mission. Our mission is to go out into the harvest of these people who are headed toward judgment and tell them that that the Lord of the harvest gave their gave his life in order that they might not be judged. Think about that for a moment. Okay, so you got the judge here. You got the final judge. And what does he do? Because of his perfect holiness, he has to judge us because he's pure and we're sinners. But at the same time, because of his perfect love for us, he dies on our behalf. He bears our sin in order that we don't have to experience that judgment. So the Lord of the harvest gives Himself, sacrifices Himself in order that we might not be judged, in order that we might be saved from the harvest. Amazing, isn't it? We, we worship an amazing God. And friends, ask yourself this question. What is your evangelistic temperature? What's your evangelistic temperature? If you look back on the last year, 2011, you know, how much time did you think about lost people? How many times did you take initiative in cultivating a relationship with someone in order to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ? How many times did you share with somebody 
your personal testimony? How many times did you pray for someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus? And if you find that your heart is cold, you need to repent. And you need to say, Lord, I have gone cold. I've been so consumed with my own life and my own activities and what I want to do that I've forgotten about the most important thing. And that is reaching lost people. So I pray you would stir within me this new desire. And ah, that's that's my vision. I just I want God, God's Spirit to move through this ministry. And I want him to stoke the fires of evangelism. We've got the Art of Marriage series coming up. That's a wonderful series to invite people out to. I know if they're ready for that type of thing, but in our marriage seminar. But again, you know, just that that would become more the fabric of our church. We did a survey at the end of last year and found that out of the eight different areas that this survey was asking about in terms of the health of our church, uh, that evangelism was the lowest. Well, that's not good. That's not good. And what it was focusing on is that in terms of, you know, so many people that took the survey, that, again, in regards to how they felt about evangelism, if they felt they were trained, if they felt that we were encouraging them in that way, uh, how often they were involved in it, it was just low. Well, that's something we want to fix. Fix real quick, right? <laughs> so that's part of our, amen, uh, that's part of our vision, right? Yeah, now, the compassion part of our vision, the ultimate compassion is evangelism and seeing people come to Christ. So please pray with me about this. Let's talk about that at this moment. We should pray about the call to prayer. Luke 10:2. He told them, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field." Okay, so ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the judge. Ask Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest, the one who's going to bring the sickle down. Ask Him to send out workers into His harvest field. Because Jesus wants that more than anything. And notice it doesn't say, ask Him to... Uh, well, it doesn't say like, you know, continue to pray for non-believers. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest field. And again, this goes back to the point. You know, I just want to commit ourselves to prayer that Springbrook would burn anew, burn anew in, in, in passion for seeing people come to And that's what I want all of us to pray for. Pray that God, again, would ignite our church with a passion to see lost people, that we'd see more people come into relationship with Christ through lifestyle evangelism, as we've been talking about, just loving people, that Jesus Christ, that we'd hear more stories, that small groups would talk more and more about this, uh, your spiritual friends, wherever they are, that you would talk more about this, your one life, and... You would pray, God, bring us leaders. Bring us people who will lead the way, who will, 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 will burn brightly, and we can follow their lead. People with the gift of evangelism. People just have this incredible, overwhelming 
desire to see people so that we can just be inspired by them. That we can be a church where we're constantly seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. That's how we need to pray. The next thing we see is a call to urgency in being heart-strong ambassadors. Luke 10, 3, just a part of that verse. The first word is go. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> right? Do it. Make it happen. Luke 10, 4. Do not take any purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Oh, that sounds awfully rude of Jesus to say. Don't say hi to somebody. You know, if you're going along the road, you're walking along one of the hot Israel roads and and somebody comes along. You haven't seen anybody for an hour or so. And, uh you know, they come along and you don't talk to them. They just say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, where are you going? Uh, yeah, it's hot out here, isn't it? Yeah, have a good day. Well, you have to understand back in the Near East, uh, uh, in that day when you greeted somebody on the road, I mean, that was like a meal. <laughs> if you greeted somebody on the road, that means you stopped and you had a meal together at least and sometimes even stayed overnight. And Jesus Christ is saying, no, don't do that. You know, forget about being polite in this situation. You keep moving to that town because these people need to hear this message. There's a sense of urgency. And, and the American church has been lulled into a sense of complacency, a lack of urgency about the gospel. We're just too busy. We think it's too hard. It's not going to work. There's all kinds of reasons. But we're just complacent. We've seen so much video of uh, tornado damage with this wild spring uh, that we've had. Imagine that, you know, you're in one of these towns and the ABC News reporter comes up and there's a guy that's walking down uh, the street, you know, just... No houses or just the shells of houses left. And, and they say, sir, what, what, what are you doing to help with the tornado effort? And let's say it's one of those really bad tornadoes where people are, you know, they're buried in their houses and they don't know if people are still alive. So people are working and pulling houses apart, trying to find people who are dead and, uh, or alive, that is, hopefully. And, and the guy says, well, you know, this is my shopping day. So I'm going to about a half hour out to a larger city and do some shopping. And the reporter says, well, don't you realize that the whole town is mobilizing to save people in this area? Oh, I understand that, and I really would love to do that. But, you know, you don't know how tight my life is. Now, this is my errand day. I've got to get everything done. I mean, I've, in fact, I'm behind already. I mean, I, life is crazy. You know how it goes? And so I, I, let me show you my list here. You know, I, these are the things I need to get done. And I tell you what, if I don't get them done today, oh, my life is going to go into a tailspin. I mean, if I don't get this done today, that's going to impact Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, I am going to be stressed out. I already am stressed out. You know, I mean, I'd love to help, but hey, i got to keep my life together. Aren't we like that? Right? If you've got no time to pray for lost people, You've got no time to spend time with lost people. You're too busy. Right? You're just too busy. 
Friends, let's pray that a new sense of urgency would come into our fellowship and that it would just travel like a virus amongst us. That we would just realize people are going to hell. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are called to be His official messengers. Let's get the news out. Let's do it now. Now later. Now. This week as God allows us opportunities. The next thing is a call to suffer. Go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. That sounds good. (laughs) I'm a little lamb. Okay. (laughs) And I'm going to be surrounded by vicious wolves. Hmm. Friends, when you really do stand up for Jesus Christ in conversations in the workplace or in the neighborhood, like when the issue of homosexuality comes up, neither they ask it straight out, you know, what you think about it, or, or are you going to say something if they're having a debate about it, or uh, sexual sin? People living together, shacking up together. Who cares about a marriage license, you know? We'll get get married when we have enough money to have the wedding that I've always dreamed of. Or abortion. I tell you what, friends. If you enter into that dialogue, there's a chance you might be crucified. Right? This is not politically correct. Jesus did not call us to be politically correct. (laughs) He called us to proclaim His truth to a nation that's going in the wrong direction really fast. When was the last time you took a risk and you spoke out? Or are you a closet Christian? Are you an undercover Christian? Do people at work know your allegiance to Jesus Christ in your neighborhood and people you hang with, do they know about your allegiance? And if they don't know about your allegiance, I want you to go home. And I want you to think long and hard about that, why that's the case. Obviously, you need to repent of that and say, Lord, help me to figure this one out. Help me to grow to the point where I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Being a Christian... Uh, if you really stand out for Christ, people are going to think you're weird, you're a Bible thumper, you're weak. All that. We don't like people to think that way about us. But it's on behalf of Christ, right? And we know they're wrong, but but what? If you're going to be identified with Jesus Christ, you're going to be an offense to people. You're not going to get the good feelings coming your way. Okay. All right. Finally, the call to trust. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So do not take a purse or bag or sandals. All right, ladies, how do you feel about that one? (laughs) Sandals? What do you mean? I've got like ten pair. Uh, (laughs) Do not take a purse. No money. No money. Or a bag. No clothes. No toiletries. Or sandals. Now, people interpret that in a different way. I I tend to think that they wore sandals, but they didn't take an extra pair of long. 
But what Jesus Christ is asking these men to do is, I want you to totally depend on me in this journey. People are going to give you money. People are going to give you food. People are going to provide for you. In fact, in a later passage, he says that when I sent you out, did I not do that? Did I not care for your needs? Now, he sent them out another time, and he said, yeah, take some money and stuff like this. But this is a faith test, just as these heart-strong commitments are a faith test in your life. They're coming in trepidation, thinking, oh, man, God, I'm trusting in you. I, <laughs> You know, are you sure you want me to? Maybe I need to change this number. <laughs> You know, how about turning this in, Lord? Give me any last-minute breaking news. That's a faith test. And say, trust in me. And friends, with evangelism, that is so critical that we trust in God. We've got to trust in God because it scares Christians silly. <laughs> it really does, unfortunately. But I can understand the dynamics. I have to get to evangelism, so comes more easily to me, but uh, yeah, it, for a lot of the reasons I've listed today, yeah, it's hard. So, you know, just take that next step. Uh, we, we, we've really got to let this verse sink deep within our hearts, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the best thing ever. It's the answer to this world's woes. Let us not be ashamed. And, I, and again, it's a process. All I'm asking you guys to do as we go through this heart strong journey is that you grow in this area. I'm not expecting you to go out and start street witnessing at Algonquin and Randall or an Algonquin Commons. You know, on front of uh, Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that. But <laughs> all I'm asking you to do is just step out and love. Here are some things you can do, some next steps you can take with a person that you've chosen as your one life. Just spend time with them. I mean, really, lifestyle evangelism, just cultivating that relationship to, to show them your love, because that's how we're known as Christians, right? By our love. Outdoors, meals, events. Uh, pray for them. That, that's a wonderful thing you can do is say to them, hey, how can I pray for you? They're not going to say, don't you ever ask that question again. I do not believe that there is a God and your, your words will be wasted on me. No. People typically come up with something. I, I always love, you know, never answer... <laughs> Um, this is a pet peeve of mine when I say, uh, how can I pray for you? Say, I'm good. <laughs> what do you mean you're good? <laughs> you can't be good. We all, we're just struggling through life. I mean, give me something, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's just a pet peeve. But just, all, I mean, yeah, help me grow closer to God. Just to have, just have a, you know. Uh, something that you say to people when they ask you that question. How many were closer to God? I mean, whatever. Okay. So the point being here that I'll get back to is that when you ask a person, hey, can I pray for you? Uh, how can I pray for you? You know, yeah, prayer's good. You know, all the different spiritual <laughs> things. You know, 
philosophies out there. Hey, prayer's good, you know, yeah. So, yeah, let, and then, then follow up on it. You know, they say, hey, you know, my, my brother-in-law is struggling with cancer. Well, follow up the next week and say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm praying every day for that. And they're like, wow, this guy's really serious, you know, right? That's a beautiful tool. A dialogue about their spiritual life, uh, spiritual journey. You're, again, drop that stuff in. Say, hey, I went to, you know, um, hey, we're having, you know, uh, or maybe like after Easter. I don't know. I mean, oh, man, we had an awesome Easter service, and this happened. And, boy, it was a great weekend, Good Friday, Easter. Uh, God answered this prayer in my life. You know, just drop those seeds in, okay? Give music that they might like. Uh, books that relate to issues in their life that are Christian-based. Messages you think that might be helpful to them. Uh, from either our ministry or all the other ministries that are out there. So much, so much good teaching. Uh, invite Easter service. Now, next week we're going to have a great time together. And uh, we'll be announcing our, our uh, total pledges or total commitments that have been made to our HeartStrong campaign. But I think that will be an encouraging thing for people who come, saying this this is a body that believes so much in reaching our community and those type of things that uh, they're willing to put uh, their finances, finances behind it. Uh, our marriage retreat, obviously, is a great opportunity. Our marriage series, uh, concerts you might invite them to. Then you have the opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. So all things you can do. So, friends, uh, let's be heart strong. In evangelism. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time we've had. I want to thank you how you've stirred my heart. Again, I, I can become so busy with things, I this falls off my radar, and I pray you'd stir anew in my heart. Um, I ask that uh, we, I just, I just pray that evangelism would go viral here at Springbrook. I pray that we really catch it. And live it out. Just realize how easy it is, really. And all the fears that we have and all the baggage that we have about it would be uh, dismissed by just good teaching and conversations and saying, man, it's it's fun to be involved in being your ambassador in Christ's name. Now we come to a very uh, holy moment in uh, the history of our church where you bring your heart-strong commitments uh, before God. And this really is a, a tremendous act of worship, of you exhibiting faith, uh, you stepping out in commitment, you saying, God, uh, I'm in. And uh, I, I, I want you to reflect on this song about God doing greater things through us and uh, it's about a five minute song and so as you feel led you know come and put your commitment card in one of these baskets and bring the whole family and again as you come uh, if you've already made your commitment if you're a leader and you made your commitment uh, just take the pledge card or if you have an envelope in there put it in the envelope don't seal the envelope but just come up because you didn't have a chance to do this you know, in worship, and just put it in there. Just don't write anything on it, but just put it in there. You've already made your commitment. But I think it's wonderful to be part of this process. And uh, if you already have, if you have an envelope, you can seal that envelope. 
and uh, just really go to the Lord right now and thank Him for what He's done in your life over the last couple of months as we've gone through this heartstrong process and, and pray uh, for the future uh, of our ministry.